Good morning, I'm Pastor Steve. If you're new to Faith Bible Church, just want to uh, express uh, how what a privilege it is to be here with you and be able to open up God's Word with you. We are starting a new series this morning in the Old Testament book of Amos. And encourage you uh, to find Amos that may not be a book that you read very often. Um, so I encourage you if you if you need just look it up in the front of your Bible and find a page number and and find your way to the book of Amos. It's not a book that um, we read leisurely. It's somewhat difficult material, but there is a wealth of truth here for us. I want us to just as we begin, just to think a little bit about some of the background of the book as we find in the first couple of verses in the book. And you'll notice I've given our little series a subtitle that says, Justice is Important to God. And there's a reason why I've chosen for us to go through this study, is, and one of the reasons is because justice today is talked about a lot. In fact, if you think about it from a political perspective, usually those who are more liberal politically, more of the left side politically, talk a lot about social justice, but they don't have a, that side of the political spectrum does not have a corner on the market of justice because God values justice. Uh, justice is important to God. And what I want us to do here, just as we begin our study in the book of Amos, is to have you view a little video clip from the president of Moody Bible Bible Institute. He actually was a Bible conference speaker for us here at Faith Bible Church a few years ago, and I think you'll enjoy hearing from him. Let me give you quick three reasons why justice, I think, should be on the agenda for every pastor. First of all, because it's important to God. Um, justice is a reflection of his very character. Uh, God is holy. That's the standard. Righteousness is God's conformity to that standard. Justice is God's application of that righteous standard to the activities and behavior of men. And uh, this is important to God. He says in Isaiah 61, 8, I, the Lord, love justice. Love justice. So this is important to God. This is not a side issue. Secondly, uh, God requires it of us. Micah 6, 8, everybody knows that verse, but it says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? That's not an option for us. He requires that of us. And so, in the midst of the environment in which we are, uh, we can't avoid that. We need to be uh, standing for God's righteousness and the justice uh, in our time frame. And then a third reason why I think it should be important to every church, every every Christian, every pastor, is because one day God is going to execute justice. He loves justice. He expects us to do justice. But in the future, whether it's the uh, judgment seat of Christ that believers will all stand before or the great white throne judgment where all the unbelievers will stand, uh, there will be justice. This shows how important it is to God. 
So in the time frame that we have, and an unjust society in so many ways, we as his representatives need to be standing forth and being advocates for justice. We're going to see in our study through the book of Amos that justice, God's justice, is a theme that runs through this book. Now, Amos is a prophet, even though we're going to read here in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Amos, who is among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So we're going to see that that uh, this guy named Amos uh, actually was a sheep breeder by trade. Some prophets in the Old Testament came from families of prophets. Their father maybe had been a prophet. And a prophet was simply a person who brought a message from God to the people. Sometimes that message was about today. Sometimes that message directly from God to the people was about something that was going to happen in the future. But a prophet was a person who brought God's message to a people. This guy, Amos, had a special calling from God to bring God's message to the people of Israel, even though he was from Judah. In fact, he's from a little town called Tekoa, which is about five miles south of Bethlehem. So God is sending him from Judah, the southern part of Israel, to the northern kingdom, those tribes up north, that actually were warring with Judah. So remember, after King Solomon's death, the people of Israel, the United Kingdom of Israel, split into two. Ten tribes roughly went north and were still called Israel. Two and a half tribes were south and they were called Judah. And so we find Amos prophesying or giving this message sometime between 767 and 753 B.C., we can see that we do know the time that Uzziah ruled. We know the time that Jeroboam II ruled. But uh, we don't know exactly when that earthquake was that was referred to in verse 1. So sometime between 767 and 753 B.C., Amos shared this message. Now, it's interesting that this was a period of time in Israel and Judah's history of great prosperity. There was peace in the land. Notice the reigns of these two kings were long. There were, it was a time of peace. It was a time of great monetary wealth. But sometimes in times of prosperity, there can also be a lethargy toward God. And so we come to our study in Amos. Now it's interesting Amos is going to do something in this letter that a lot of prophets did. They, he's kind of setting a trap. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Nathan the prophet went to David to confront King David about his sin? And he told David a story about a guy who just had one little sheep and he loved the sheep, but some other guy came and took his sheep and killed it. And David said, well, that guy should get 
punished. And then Nathan the prophet said, uh, that guy is you. Well, Amos is going to do something similar. Because Amos is going to start by pronouncing God's judgment on all of Israel's enemies. So Amos comes into the northern kingdom. I have a message from God. And he starts to pronounce this message from God that's talking about God holding everybody accountable for what they do. And Israel's going to be saying, yes, go for it, Amos. We love this message because they're a bunch of bad people around us. You go for it, Amos. And so Amos is going to begin in this letter, especially in chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2, pronouncing a judgment against all of Israel's neighbors. So right up in this pink area, this is the northern tribe. This is Israel. Down here is where the southern two and a half tribes are, Judah. But all around are the peoples that Amos is going to begin pronouncing judgment against. Up here are the Arameans, and we're going to see them referred to in verses 3 through 5. Then we're going to see the Philistines down here. You see this little town called Gaza. Today we hear a lot of the news about the Gaza Strip. There's that little piece of ground right here that's under Arab control. Here's Israel. And so even back then, that was Philistine territory. God's going to pronounce a judgment against them. We're going to see the Phoenicians up here. God's going to pronounce judgment. The Edomites here, the Moabites here, the Ammonites here, all around Israel. God is going to be pronouncing judgment against these people. And Israel is going to love every minute of it. They're going to be see. It's about time. It's about time that somebody is going to be held accountable for their actions. Don't we feel that way sometimes? We look around us and we start thinking about all of the injustice that we see around us. And sometimes we feel like they people just get away with it. Whatever they want to do, they just get away with it. Remember with me back to about April of 2014. In our news, we saw a story about Boko Haram. This is a Islamic extremist group in northeast Nigeria. And Boko Haram went into a government-run girl for schools in April of 2014 and took 276 girls. And right after that happened... It appeared that nothing could be done. And it was talked about just for a little while, and then it was just silent. And we never heard about it anymore. And I can remember going on the web, typing in, what happened to the girls that that were taken from Chibuk, Nigeria? What Boko Haram does is that uh, this militant group, they align themselves with ISIL. They'll take those girls and they will sell them as 
as brides, 9 to 12 years old, sell them. Sometimes they use them uh, to in, in military service or as a suicide bomber. Sometimes they'll use them to bear their own babies. And we look at that, and we look at this group. Some say that Boko Haram has displaced 2.3 million people from their homes. And we look at it and said, nothing happens. Unless we think that injustice only happens somewhere else. Conservatively speaking, they, they estimate that between 14 and 17, 18,000 people, uh, suffer the same fate here in the United States. Human trafficking in the U.S. every year. And we look at grievous examples of injustice. And one of the things that we're, and, 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 and we start to feel like they just, everybody gets away with it. And yet, in this prophecy, this, this, this book of the Old Testament, 2,750 years old, almost three millennia old, we're going to see that God doesn't change, and God loves justice. In fact, God holds all people accountable for their actions. And all people will be accountable for their actions. Even though at times we start to feel like people just do what they want to do. Nothing ever happens. So we're going to, going to see as we go through this book, even today in chapters 1 and 2, we're going to look at a, a, a rather broad uh, cut out of the book here. We're going to see two truths. One, God holds all people accountable. And two, for believers, people who are in relationship with God, we are held to a higher level of accountability. So Amos is setting a trap. And Israel is over here saying, go for it, Amos. Just you preach it. We love, we, you're great. You proclaim this judgment against all of those bad guys. A little later this morning, we're going to see Israel's going to become really quiet. Their cheering's going to stop. Because when God holds all people accountable, He holds all people accountable. So what Amos is going to do in setting his little snare for Israel is he begins by focusing in on all of Israel's enemies and he's going to use a little phrase that he repeats over and over and over and over in the book. So if you look at Amos, the book of Amos in the Old Testament, chapter 1, you're going to see that phrase in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 9, verse 11, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 1, verse 4, and verse 6. And here's the phrase. I'll read it out of verse 3. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. And he repeats that over and over and over for each group of people. Now there's something interesting that Amos does. 
This is a common way of writing in that day. But what would be common when Amos says for three of these transgressions and for four, you're going to get your punishment. I'm not going to turn back from it. Normally, those transgressions, those acts of rebellion would be listed. But it's interesting as we look at this, for these enemies of Israel, he only lists like one, sometimes two transgressions. Until he gets to Israel. Now, I want to make a couple of notes. In verse 2 of chapter 1, we read, He said, The Lord roars from Zion, from Jerusalem he utters his voice, the shepherds' pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Right from the beginning, we know that this is going to be a message about judgment. The lion roars. They're picturing God as one who is going to execute judgment as a roaring lion. It says in verse 2, he roars from Zion. Remember Zion, sometimes in the Bible, refers to the mount in Jerusalem upon which the temple is built. Sometimes Zion refers to the temple. Sometimes Zion refers to the whole city of Jerusalem. Sometimes Zion is even used to refer to our future home in heaven. Here we find Zion just is that place where God dwells. And Israel really felt that God lived in their midst in the temple in Jerusalem. And so from Jerusalem, God in his very presence is going to execute judgment. And judgment we see pictured in verse 2 as drought. It says Carmel dries up. The hillside, the foothills of Mount Carmel, some of the most fertile farmland of the day. And yet, it's going to be dried up. For an Israelite, drought meant discipline. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, 29, and 30, God told the people of Israel, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have great crops. But if you disobey me, you're going to have terrible crops, drought and famine. You see, God's blessing on his people in the Old Testament was very visual. It was very hands-on. And in their mindset, in their worldview, if they had drought, it meant that they had sinned against God. Now, God doesn't work with New Testament Christians in that same exact way. We don't have to conclude in eastern Iowa, if we don't get rain, that we've sinned. But for Israel, that was a very real uh, picture of either God's blessing or his discipline on their life. And so here we know right from the beginning, judgment's coming. And Amos, in setting this little trap for Israel begins by pronouncing judgment against all of Israel's neighbors. And they're loving it. Notice with me in verse 3, he says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. The Hebrew word translated transgression there is a reference to an act of rebellion. It's, It's an act of rebellion against authority. One of the translations is either the New Living or uh, the Net Bible, New English, translates it crime. This is an act of rebellion. And so 
Amos is going to go through each of these neighboring nations and he's going to list you have willfully acted in rebellion against God. Now, how? We can understand that for Israel and Judah because they had God's law. Remember, Judah and Israel had the Old Testament law. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus, even the book of Numbers, we can read about the law of Moses. Moses, Very specific, specific uh, uh, things that Israel should do and should not do. But these, this is not Israel. Some of these people are related to Israel, but they're not Israelites. They're pagans. What, how could they possibly disobey God when they don't have, when they're not underneath the law of Moses? Most evangelical Bible teachers would go back to the book of Genesis chapter 9 and say that just because these people are not underneath the law of Moses does not mean that they are without law. And in Genesis chapter 9, we see God's agreement, his covenant with Noah. And in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read this. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, and multiply in it. Now that is a parameter from God. That is a command from God that's before Israel. It's before Moses. It's before Abraham. And I believe, and many Bible teachers would say, that that is binding on all humanity. If you murder someone and take someone who's been created in the image of God, you deserve to have your life taken. If you attack someone who is made in the image of God, you deserve punishment. And here we see undergirding this section the idea that that all of these crimes that we're going to read about here are all showing disrespect for human life. They are all crimes against human life and, and the image of God that, that all humans bear. And so Amos is correct in saying these are acts of rebellion and all of you peoples, all of you peoples around Israel, you are going to be held accountable. And so Amos is going to start listing all these offenses. And remember, as he's, as he's pronouncing this, these Israelites are over here saying, you go for it, Amos, you're our favorite prophet. This is great. These people have been getting away with this for so long. It's good to hear that something's finally going to happen, that there is justice. So they're happy. And here goes Amos, verse 3. 
Verses 3 through 5, he's going to pronounce a judgment against the Arameans. And their capital is Damascus. And he says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke his punishment because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. Gilead's on the other side of the Jordan River. And he's saying they had such, they displayed such inhumanity to these people across the Jordan. It's as if they took threshing instruments, which would have been a piece of wood with spikes of metal coming out of it, and used those against their enemies. He goes on in verses 6 through 8 and pronounces judgment against the Philistines. And in 9 and 10, he pronounces judgment against the Phoenicians. Both of them are guilty of enslaving people. Notice with me verse 6. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. Verse 9, the Phoenicians, it says they delivered up an entire population to Edom. These are people who have been created in the image of God and these people are enslaving them and selling them to somebody else. Verses 11 through 12 and 13 through 15 and chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 are starting to get a little bit closer to home to Israel because now, unlike the first peoples that Amos talks against, who are just pagans, strangers, now he turns to Israel's relatives. We find in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he talks about the Edomites. Remember, though, the Edomites are the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. And it says the Edomites pursued his brother with the sword. Evidently, they broke a treaty with someone and actually attacked them. When we go to verses 13 through 15, he talks about the Ammonites. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he talks about the Moabites. And if you look back in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38, you see the origins of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Abram's nephew Lot had two daughters. Lot was intoxicated. The two daughters had um, relations with their father illicitly and two babies were born. One baby ended up being the father of the Ammonites and the other baby ended up being the father of the Moabites. All of these people now, he's moved from just complete strangers to Israel's relatives. And the Ammonites, he said the Ammonites in verses 13 through 15 they exercise genocide. And we have a very sad verse in verse 13 talking about what they did to those who were with child in Gilead. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it's a little bit hard for us to grasp, but the Moabites, they did something that would have been considered just treacherous. They went... And uh, took an Edomite king, went into his tomb, they took out his bones, and they burned his bones to ash. So all of these crimes that are listed, these, these transgressions, 
Amos is reminding us that God holds all peoples accountable. All peoples accountable. Israel's not quite getting it because they're over here saying, it's about time. Just like you and I. Don't you sometimes just feel so frustrated that people go unpunished? I do. You can hardly watch the news. And it seems like the more money you have or the more fame you have, the even less ramifications you're going to have for what happens to you. You can just go do whatever you want. Here, we talk about in Amos, grievous, grievous acts of inhumanity. I get frustrated even just in, in just acts of selfishness. It just seems like people just can do whatever they want. Years ago, my mother and father moved from Iowa to Essex Fells, New Jersey. And soon after they moved to Essex Fells, uh, they decided to switch vehicles and my father bought a new car. Didn't happen very often in our household. And he was excited. It was a beautiful car. And in the Benton household, whenever we changed vehicles, we'd, there'd be a trip. Sometimes it would be a short trip, but mom and dad decided, they were empty nesters at the time, they decided, let's take a trip. So they went to the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. They're really not mountains, but don't say that to somebody from Pennsylvania because they'll get offended. But they're beautiful. It, it, it's it's part of the Appalachian mountain range that stretches across several states. And the Poconos are like a sub-range of the Appalachian range. And mom and dad loved going to the Poconos. So they went to the Poconos, and there was a little B&B that they loved to stay in. And they stayed in their B&B and just had the new car. And they were excited just for a couple of days away from the college where my dad worked. Next morning got up, and dad went out. And someone had taken a screwdriver and had started at the rear bumper of dad's new car and went the entire length of the car, putting a really deep groove all the way down the car. It just wasn't a little scratch. It was a deep groove the whole length of the car. And he was telling me about this, and I'm thinking, why? Why would somebody do that? My parents... They had almost nothing. A new car to them just never happened. And then it's like their first little trip out and somebody just said, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And they just took a screwdriver and went down the whole length of the car. Why? It just seems so unfair. It just seems so mean. And nothing happens to them. At least that's what we think, isn't it? But you know... In this 2,750-year-old piece of scripture, we are reminded that God doesn't change. He had a message 2,750 years ago, and the same message is valid for us today. And that is that he holds all people accountable. And all people will be accountable to him. You know, there's some very sobering verses in the book of Revelation that talk about what's going to happen at the end 
of our current time here on earth. And at the end of Revelation 20, Paul Nyquist talked about this in his little video clip. It talks about the fact that everyone who stands in rejection of the person of Jesus Christ is going to one day be at a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. I'm going to read these verses. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found in them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now those are sobering verses. Those verses are talking about hell and the fact that people who are not who do not have their names written in the book of life are going to spend eternity there based on their deeds. And notice he makes a very point here twice that talks about every one of them according to their deeds. No one gets away with anything. God holds all people accountable. It may appear to us that people get away with stuff, but not to God. That's why it's so central to us at Faith Bible Church that we talk about God's justice, that he just doesn't overlook sin. At the same way, we talk about his love because God sees our predicament and knows what's ahead of each and every one of us and that we can't fix it. And in his love and his justice, he poured out his wrath Toward sin on his one and only son. And that through Jesus Christ, through faith in him and the fact that he is God and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, through faith in him, we can have our name written in the book of life. We can have eternity and eternity of hope and security in Christ. We don't have to face that lake of fire that's talked about in Revelation. But it's also important for us to remember that this is real. That this, this, this 2750 year old material is talking about the same God then that we have now. And justice is important to God and God does judge sin. For those of us who are in Christ, he poured out his judgment on his own son. And through faith in him we have forgiveness. But for those who don't trust Jesus, that's the fate that they're facing. And it is sure. Well, Israel here has been listening. They've been listening to Amos. Go for it, Amos. This is great. These people have been so mean. We are so happy that finally they are going to be judged. But then Amos... In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, he starts talking about Judah. Well, that's Israel's brothers. I mean, that's they're Israelites. These are God's people. Yet, 
the Israelites are still kind of quietly cheering because we know from the book of 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 12 and 2 Kings chapter 14 verses 8 through 14 that Israel's actually been warring with their own brothers, the people of Judah. So they are saying, yeah, go for them too. They're nasty. And so we see a pronouncement against Judah here in verse 4. It says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. And, and Israel is saying, you bet, they're guilty too. And then we come to verse 6, where we see that God holds his people to a higher level of accountability for their rebellious acts. Because when we come to verse 6, you could hear a pin drop. Because while Israel's been cheering on God's judgment that's being pronounced by Amos, Amos comes to them. And it says, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. And you know what's different about verses 6 through 16? Instead of what Amos has been doing where he's just been listing like one area of sin even though he, the prophet says they're guilty of, of more. Here, Amos pronounces a full listing of sins. And in, in verse 6, he, he says, you, Israel, you've been mistreating the poor, your own poor, your brothers, God's people. You've been mistreating them. You sell your own brothers for money. You'd sell somebody for a pair of sandals. In verse 7, it... Uh, it makes it it's, verse seven is a little difficult for uh, for us. It, it sounds in our English translations. It says a man and his father resort to the same girl. It almost sounds like this is a reference to illicit physical contact between a father and a son. Probably not what's being referred to here. The Hebrew words that in my English Bible are translated resort to or go to are never used to talk about physical intimacy in the Old Testament. And there's been a lot of study done on this phrase and what this is happening here. It's probably actually referring to this girl as a hostess at a banquet. They are going to the same girl. It's almost my mom used to work at Bishop's Cafeteria. She was a hostess. They're talking about their, both dad and daughter are going to the hostess at this banquet. And the, and the sin is that Israel is having these big banquets. They're celebrating. It's the time of great monetary wealth. Everyone's doing great. At the same time, they're taking advantage of their own brothers and sisters and, who are poor. God said, that's not right. In verse 8, they would even take, some people, all they have is their outward coat. They'd even take that and not give it back in, in payment for a past due bill. And then Amos does something that he doesn't do for any of the other recipients of this message. He talks to them about, and you're doing all this against the backdrop of everything that God's done for you. 
Look at verse 9. It was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Verse 10, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Verse 11, I raised up some of your sons to be prophets. And Amos is going to talk later in the letter or the book about what a privilege it is for us to be able to hear from God. And yet Israel tells them, prophets, be quiet. We don't want to hear from you. And so down in verses 13 through 16, Amos says, Israel, you're not exempt. God's going to bring discipline on you because of your injustice, even to your own brothers. You know, one of my, one of the things for us as a church family as we enter this study on Amos is so important is that when we read about God's heart, and his heart for justice, that we don't just think about other people. That we don't just say, well, I heard, I hope this person or this group is, is, will someday experience God's judgment and fail to look at our own hearts about what God wants us to learn, what he wants me to learn about my relation to the poor, my attitudes toward the downtrodden. I went to elementary school in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Never went to kindergarten, uh, where we lived at the time in Indiana, the little town. I lived in Tippecanoe, Indiana. They did not have kindergarten. So we came to Council Bluffs. I was supposed to be in first grade. They wanted to put me in kindergarten. My mom went to the principal, Mrs. Clatterbuck, and said, look at this kid. He's huge. If you put him in the kindergarten, he's going to get made fun of so bad. So they went ahead and just let me skip. And I went to first grade. Well, during my years at J.B. Rue Elementary in the west side of Council Bluffs, grades one through five, we had little health units. I don't know if they still have health units in elementary school or not, but we did. And I remember to this day... One of the health units was on proper tooth care. And the person instructing us would give us each our own little box that had a toothbrush in it, toothpaste in it, and we actually got to brush. And I'm thinking, hey, I am going to score. Grades were always important to me, even in elementary school. I'm going to, I'm going to be like the star of the class here because I come from a family of brushers. I mean, we've always been brushers. Morning, noon, and night, we've been brushers. I am going to score big. I am going to, I'm going to do so good at this. They're going to just use me as an example for the whole class. Well, in the box, Besides the toothbrush and the toothpaste was a little packet with a tablet in it. A red tablet. You ever do this? And we had to take that red tablet and chew it up. And it didn't come out so good. Because that tablet is supposed to make all the places where I wasn't brushing properly show up. And as I smiled into the mirror, I had places. There was stuff that wasn't supposed to be in there. And I didn't know it. But when I actually became aware of it, hey, that's not supposed to be there. I had to admit that maybe I wasn't doing quite as good as I thought I was. 
And one of the things I would encourage all of us to do as a church family, just as we work through the book of Amos, is to, in a sense, take a look into our own hearts. Just, you know, maybe our prayer can be, Lord, just show me more and more who you are. Help me to see your heart for people. Help me to see that you desire justice and for us to be people of justice. Help me to see where I need to to change my mindset, my practice, how I relate to the downtrodden, how I relate to the poor in my own life. Because whether we recognize it or not, all of us are accountable to God. Father, we thank you for these verses and the reminder that you are a God of justice. Everyone will be held accountable. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus that as a just God, you don't let sin go unpunished, but as a loving God, you poured your punishment out on your own son for us because you love us. And through faith in him, we have forgiveness. But as your people, we pray that as a church, you would give us your heart. You'd help us see people through your eyes. That you would give us a heart for the downtrodden. And that we would recognize areas of sin. That we'd recognize areas that we need to adjust in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.